0: Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there, share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, all of the major places where you can find our podcast content. Also, feel free to connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter. You can also follow us on Facebook, the Longhorn Republic Podcast. I also want to shout out those of you who left us five-star reviews in the last couple of months. We've been slacking. Kyle, but I'm glad that you're here. Thank you guys so much for your kind words. They keep us going, and they help get the show out there to more fans. Helps with the visibility when you search for Texas Longhorn Podcast. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's Jimmy Fallon's understudy, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you?
1: Thank God I'm a country boy. No, Jimmy Fallon was fantastic, by the way, Gerald. That's like... It's like free propaganda. We just got to basically indoctrinate the entire country in lore. Um, the poor admissions office, I'm sure, you know, 5% additional people who are from nether parts of the country are like, wow, I could, I could do that. That could be my college experience. Um, very, 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 very cool. I was a little skeptical, I'll be honest. And it, it exceeded all of my expectations. But... Uh, Always good to, to be reminded. Yet again, we've said it a couple times on this podcast, we're the Joneses.
0: Never stopped, will always be the Joneses. Speaking of getting back to where we belong, the Texas Longhorns did something they had yet to do in school history by beating the Kansas State Wildcats for the third consecutive Time topping Kansas State 27 to 24, a 6-minute and 45-second game-winning drive capped off by a Cameron Dicker field goal to win the game. A couple of interesting stats there. First time that Texas was able to come back from a 14-0 deficit and win since 2007, uh, which is just crazy. And Cameron Dicker became the first kicker in school history. With multiple walk off field goals, doing big things in just his second year at the university. A lot to unpack, Kyle, but I think we have to start with the defense and the improved play. The defense gave up 304 total yards. In the game, which doesn't sound like a big deal when you realize that they gave up just 58 yards in the second half of play, which is just absolutely ridiculous. Just 56 yards on the ground, the second lowest or the lowest total uh, in the last two years, the fifth lowest in 35 games under Todd Orlando. So maybe uh maybe it is getting the team healthy that can be a difference for this defense
1: i think there's something to be said for how immensely improved I, if we are you know going to sit here and speak honestly and earnestly about um when the coaches fail to do something or the players fail to execute, we have to be equal and effusive in our praise and acknowledge when they do things well. Um, and, and honestly, the way the game started in that first quarter, I, I just really thought that, you know, Orlando had spent, you know, the, the, the time getting ready for Kansas state, maybe just, um, you know, on vacation on a boat in the Caribbean,
0: did you fire everybody?
1: <laughs> it's it, and it, and it wasn't unbelievably irrational. I was a few ranch waters in at that time, so I was already um, drafting up um, some some preliminary items, Gerald, for you to get your realtor's license to help uh, him sell his house. But 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 again, we have to say for all of those um, that incredulity that we felt um, in the in the opening moments, we we have to give equal amounts of praise. We stopped playing off a terrible receiving core and treating them like they were, you know, Oklahoma, Oklahoma state, um, which I I didn't get what we did that in the first couple drives, like turning them into a dynamic, which we have a a penchant for doing big 12 offense. Um, and really just, just kind of realized, Hey, we're the better team. We have better guys. We can make you do what you don't want to do. We can take the things away that you do want to do. And then we can out muscle you out, hustle you like that's, it got back kind of to the basics in that way. And uh it was at least nice to see. We could talk a little bit about what you take away from that, how you extrapolate that into the remainder of the season and the types of offenses we're going to be facing from here on out. But at the very least, they did it. I mean, we had to start somewhere. And a half of football, if you think where our offense kind of seemed like got a little sputter, the team in general got a little sputter in the second half of the Oklahoma State game and it hasn't quite Righted that maybe a good half here starts the next trend upward for the defense where, you know, they finally get the confidence of playing well. And maybe that's what more than any scheme or anything else they can take away.
0: Yeah. And there's something to be said about, like, feel good, play good. Right. Like Mm -hmm. that's that is something that is often overlooked, but it's a real thing in football like or in any sport when you start to doubt yourself when you start to overthink things when you start to doubt your ability that's when you make mistakes and so uh, the, and the coaching staff talked a little bit about it, like the confidence in this team and, and the quiet confidence that a guy like Caden Stearns brings when he's back there. Uh, and and it's great that you didn't hear Caden Stearns' name at all on Saturday, because well, he he plays free safety, so you're not supposed to hear his name. Like that's when when you free safety's doing their job, you uh you don't necessarily hear about them all that much. And so like the adjustments and realizing again, Orlando caught a lot of and deserved crap for the last two or three weeks for not making adjustments and not really being able to do much. And he didn't, he not only was able to shut down Kansas state on the ground, which is something that we did. We just assumed would not happen, but he made halftime adjustments and put his, his defensive backs in a position to make plays where, like you mentioned, they were playing off and Skylar Thompson had a career high day in the first half finding the soft spot underneath the zone. No, you're bigger, you're faster, you're stronger than these guys. Get in their face and make them beat you one-on-one and make Thompson put it in the tight windows. And he couldn't do that. He, there was no way. He, he started the game 13 of 17 for 217 and two scores and finished the game 17 of 27 for 253 and two scores, meaning in the second half after Texas adjusted to the press, he was 4 of 10 for 36 yards. Which is nuts.
1: Yeah, I mean, and in and, and, and that's that's exactly how it should be, right? Like when when we talked about the our our kind of predictions for the remainder of the season, I think people listeners kind of got the feedback that wait, are, are Kyle and Gerald just idiots? Like Kansas State's clearly a good team. They beat OU. By the way, the biggest thing we won this week was a transitive uh, Aggie win over OU. Baby, you just just uh, suck on that. Uh, Sooners. But um but no, I, I, I joke. Um but but truly I think the way that their offense was set up, the type of game they like to play, is, as we've said, the the system that Todd Orlando has had success traditionally against. A running back who is not, you know, the tiny shifty, untouchable um guy who gets lost behind the line but is, you know, just a, a kind of a, a more pure we're gonna try to out muscle you uh run game. They they were able to able to stifle that a quarterback who's who's mobile who's quick but but really not gonna you know change the game there and isn't an elite you know if you give him seven seconds he will pick you apart Joe Burrow style um so I think we had high expectations because this is what we expected we thought that this would happen and again that doesn't take anything away but when we talk about what this means for the remainder of the season beyond just the you know the 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 kind of chest. Pounding you're doing that makes you feel good and gives you confidence and gives you maybe another extra step or you come downhill a little faster because you're feeling good. Sure, those things. When you take it and you think about what does this mean for Iowa State, Baylor, Texas Tech, I don't know that inherently we're gonna get you know. Thirty-six yards and a half from any quarterbacks the rest of the season. I, I think this was this was the the end of that until you know probably next season when we play some some early preseason or not preseason but non conference uh, games. So I mean, let's see how it translates because I still think our corners you know had some issues um, in the first half and in the second half was fine. Our safeties took some bad angles. Our linebackers. Really didn't didn't help the way I wanted to. Our our defensive line was good. I will say that I, I was I was pleased with uh, pleased with our defensive line quite a bit with Sweat, Jomo, obviously Coburn's my dude. But um, I, like I said, I I remain a bit skeptical that this defense anything is fixed other than injuries. People are healthy and that's fantastic. And I would love to eat Crow. I will come back on this podcast and eat it if if they just truly get healthy and that made all the difference. No one would be happier than me.
0: Absolutely, and, and I think one of the one of the differentiators that we haven't talked about yet, and you mentioned it, is Texas got more pressure than I think they they've mm. been able to get all year, and I think part of it is due to the press coverage and kind of forcing receivers to make a move, make a cut, try to lose a guy, and I think just the defensive line and the defensive front played as good as I've seen them play in probably four or five weeks, uh, and and just again we're gonna we're gonna just refer back to last week's firing, Smokey. Uh, I would have been spot on if you hadn't made me specify which players. <laughs> Texas comes away with three sacks. You were. Uh, which, with yeah, Sweat, uh, Dele, and uh, a half sack each from Graham and Foster, which was just a fun play to watch, by the way. love seeing B.J. Foster out there playing fast and, uh, fast and wild, which is always fun to watch. I think the other thing that was a differentiator was Texas's ability to get off the field. Yep. We talked last week about time of possession. We talked last week about third downs, and Texas won the time of possession battle. And I uh Kansas State was right under fifty percent on third downs five of eleven, but they didn't get a single one in the second half. They were all four in the second half, which is a big stinking deal like when you do that and and the offense didn't capitalize as much on like the Brandon Jones forced fumble and a couple of those big defensive stops uh, we'll talk about that in a minute but This is, this is a defense that if they can play at that standard for the next three weeks, can put themselves in position uh, to, to take a shot at a big 12 championship game.
1: Absolutely. And, and, and like you said, winning the time of possession, especially, you know, there's some offensive component of that, but the defense was the kind of the key thing we talked about in the, in the, the lead up to this game. And, and when you set out and you say, this is how we're going to play the game, this is what we're going to do. And then you do it. That, that is fantastic. So to, you know, Golf clap if you can hear it for the coaches for that. I mean they they took the number twenty three rushing offense and didn't let them do you know what they do, and they took the number three time of possession team and they they got them off the field. So you can say nothing. You can have quarrels with with some of the plays. You can have quarrels with boneheaded plays. Again, Jalen Green. That's just not a just not what you want to see. Just just a just a real 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 bad bad play and I hope the coaches let him know that very profusely but you know
0: Yancy's gonna get some fun with him
1: (laughs) I there are moments I wish we still had the pit um (laughs) from from the more days but uh but yeah it's uh they'll learn those are dumb mistakes you can you you know you learn but uh I, I think all of those things aside when you say this is our game plan this is what we are not going to let them do and then you're successful in that that is a win, regardless of the opponent, regardless of anything else. That is a win, and so in that sense, I'm cautiously hopeful um, that that this is that that turning point. But again, I need to see it. I need to see it consecutive weeks. I need to see it against a team that's going to have uh, a, a, a very hearty desire to throw the football.
0: Yeah, and I think we'll we'll see that more on Saturday. We'll talk uh, more at length about that in, in our Thursday preview show coming at you again on Thursday, we preview the Iowa state game. And you mentioned Kyle, you know, the defense has to get off the field to win the time of possession battle, but the offense also has to to put together some drives. And so the offense put, put up a pretty solid performance against a Kansas state team that generally one of probably the three best defenses in the conference. I'd go ahead and say probably, I mean, you've got, I'm trying to think TCU, Kansas state, Iowa state, maybe, I'm trying to think of who has a better sure. those, those two are like the three best ones. Uh, but four hundred and seventy-seven yards, two sixty-three through the air, two fourteen on the ground, the yep. third two hundred yard rushing game in the season, which again, I've got some uh just some fun stats for you about that, Kyle. So Fantastic. under Tom Herman, take a guess how many two hundred yard rushing games Texas has had.
1: I bet not a
0: ton. I'm gonna say Five, six? Under Tom Herman, they've had seven 200-yard okay. games. And I excuse, I misspoke a second ago. They've had four this year. Yeah. Four 200-yard rushing games this year, three in the previous two years. So right. maybe Texas has found its identity as a running team. Sure. And Keontae Ingram probably has made us both eat crow. Mm. Looked like the number one running back. Looked like the guy that we expected him coming out of Carthage High School. Yep. Looks like that knee is no longer sore. No longer giving him some trouble, nice explosive burst. He went slow to go fast, as they would say in the business parlance that you and I have to use in our day jobs. Uh, 16 rushes, 139 yards, a career high there, 8.7 yards per carry, a career high there as well. Ties its career high in uh, touchdowns with two, which is just – and I think the the most impressive thing about Keontae on Saturday and the thing that really makes a good running back – is he took three and made 11 is the best way I could say it. There were a couple of plays where – Three yards were there, and he took it and turned it into a, into seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 yards. Right, like he put Texas ahead of the chains, which is really, really impressive. You saw his career-longest rush, the 34-yard touchdown run down the sideline on the speed option. Uh, in the in really one of the more impressive ones was uh, where he again got stopped in the backfield and turned it into a first down as Texas was trying to drive in the fourth quarter. But Texas was able to do a lot, even losing junior Angalau to an MCL sprain. They were able to do quite a bit on the ground then I think that's that could be a recipe for success in the future.
1: Yeah, I mean I think there's without a doubt that, that Keontae Ingram was my player of the game, probably his best game. I mean, just just did everything he needed to. And and I it probably shouldn't be overlooked. We talked about the players who were out missing time as injured players who needed the bye week, but also the guys who were playing. Uh Keontae Ingram we we know his, you know, it's at various points in the season been some percentage of, of healthy, probably not a hundred percent. So maybe this is he needed that week and now he's feeling Right close to it, and this is this is truly healthy, uh, Keontae Ingram. So hopefully, you know that that is a trend we'll see. But I mean, you do have to give some credit to, to to Beck in this one. He he kind of understood what, um, what that Kansas State defense wanted to do, and they they truly came out with that RPO uh, game and 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 stuck with it. They had a commitment to it. We'll talk a little bit how that came out in the in the past game, but just the, the getting the run started opened up the play action, which made easy plays which you know hasn't always been the past couple weeks what our offense has been um, gifted with I mean he he did make some adjustments when defense started adjusting to him so kudos to that almost six yards per carry including sack yard is, is a good day for any team in the country I don't care who you are who you're playing that's a good day um, you know but uh, I, I think you know like you said KSU is a good good defense and and I, I think I think Keonta Ingram sliced up a good defense. I think Sam Ellinger um, ran a good offense against a, a good defense. Roshan, um had the had the hurdle of the game, um, but uh, just you know, look to have some flashes. I, I know you kind of tweeted after the game about what you do with Roshan in the future, you know, using a red shirt. Otherwise, I, I think that's, that's going to be a very interesting storyline, but right now, even with, with Whittington back, he, he didn't suit up. So Roshan is your number two. Um, and, and Keontae is your number one. He's the guy who's been playing running back for the longest. So that shouldn't surprise anyone. And if Roshan has the ability, even if he is, he's hit a little bit of the wall, um, that we saw early in the season, then that means you have two really good running backs. And there is no reason that with a quarterback who can run well and those two running backs that you can't beat any team in the conference, uh, any defense you're going to see the rest of the year with that as your M.O., especially if the offensive line goes out and executes. What is their strength? Honestly, they are a, a really, really good run-blocking offensive line.
0: This offense, the the Beck-Herman offense, looks better with a play-action option. Yeah. Like, yeah. And especially the, the run-pass option that Texas ran really, really well on Saturday. We saw uh, Sam Ellinger kind of do what he needed to do. Uh, it was a good, not great performance. That's how I have it in our show notes. 22-29, uh, incredibly accurate through an interception uh, that in a bad spot. He looked like, at least from my armchair quarterback coaching, kind of locked in on Duvernay early, wanted Mm -hmm. to force the ball to him. He had both 25 and 85 open as a check down and along the sideline. So that's a bad look, I think. Maybe Ellinger's just not used to having other options, but that's a whole nother conversation. He looks solid, uh, but the guy who really helped in a lot of that was Colin Johnson, exploiting some matchup issues and also finding space in those RPOs. Uh, Colin Johnson, seven receptions, 110 yards, and a touchdown. They ca- they installed like a deep slant in the RPO game, which if they don't run that seven yeah. times against Iowa State. Like, that deep slant was nasty, and Ellinger was perfect. A perfect 7-7 seven to seven for a 158.3 passer rating when targeting Colin Johnson. Duvernay, 9 catches, 110 yards, did what Duve does. The receivers and their ability to find space, especially with Johnson. Now, he uh, could be slowed this week due to another hamstring injury. Again, we'll talk more about that on Thursday. Uh, the receivers played a really, really good game.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think you, you have no qualms with the, the run blocking, obviously. That you get from your receivers, which is an overlook component, and then your two biggest receivers going out there. Sam was 22 for 29, like a really solid uh, game. They caught the balls that were put there. They, you know, I think we schemed to get them some open looks. We schemed to get them one-on-one coverage where they're moving and catch the ball on the run. I think, you know, we, we really... Uh, empowered, our two biggest weapons uh, in the passing game, Colin Johnson and Devin Duvernay, to do what they do, which is catch a lot of balls, move the ball up the field, and, and get some momentum for the offense. Because, as we say, a, a good play action and everything sets up the pass, but also a good pass play drops people back that sets up a head of steam for Keontae Ingram to get, you know. If he has four yards with untouched when he gets to the first defender, there's a good chance he's going to shake someone out of their shoes or spin off of them or you know try to go through them and, and and turn that into eight yards, nine yards. So um they it is it is the yin and yang that that a good offense has um the 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 perfect balance. So I agree that the receivers um came out and did what they needed to do. And and again, Sam Ellinger. Had a good performance, uh, seven incompletions. You know, the whole game is is not bad. He did have an INT. Um, was kind of locked in on that one and had Epps and Ingram open. But um, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say you know it's a good game, especially. When you need to win, the the kind of you-have-to-must-win game, Kansas State has been a bugaboo in years past, um, and you're coming off a four-interception game where you maybe tried to do too much, and you're trying to pull it back a little. I think the coaches did a good job with him of saying, look, use your running back. Use your other people. You don't have to do everything. This is a very talented team, um, and if, if that balances back to the mindset he had in the beginning of the season where he was just comfortable, confident, and firing in all cylinders but didn't feel like he needed to go back to the hero ball and we get him full out of that mindset then again this isn't a really good spot for this offense to finish the year strong um, and have a really ridiculous SP number next to their name at the end of the season
0: the fact that it doesn't rise and fall on Ellinger is can't be lost and needs to be remembered and kind of memorialized after this game because that's any good offense or any good defense is going to be able to really uh, shut down a one-dimensional team so getting the run game and the offensive line Played really well. Only gave up two two sacks, two tackles for loss, which is below below their average. Below mm. average being good mm-hmm. uh, for in this context, uh, below their average on the year. So they're doing a they they did a good job. They created a lot of space. Um, Angalau went out, and so they had to do some interesting things uh, with Okafor on on the on the line to make some matchups happen. Yeah, and don't hear me saying that Sam Ellinger was bad or had a bad game because he helped engineer a six minute and 35 second drive to end the game right he had the ball in his hands started with I get two of the first three games or two of the three of the first four plays in that drive uh all went for first downs and uh Ellinger was responsible for three of them right so like he he did a great job
1: and, and I think you could very easily when you watch the end of the game some people had issues questions about the clock management decisions, but you very easily could add another touchdown onto Sam Ellinger's stat day. And all of a sudden the same line is like, Oh, pretty good day. You know, it feels a little different if, uh, and he very easily could have had that touchdown. He he had to intentionally not get it. It felt like, um, so, I mean, yeah, your, your game goes there, but think about that last drive, right? He hit the slants just like he'd been doing. They kind of moved the ball. They were methodical. That looked like a team Almost like against Kansas, where it's like we know that we are the better team. We're confident that we can move this wherever we need to to make this happen. And so I feel good about that. I feel good that we left this game with the offense feeling like we got this. We can do whatever we want. We'll we'll take we'll effectively take a glorified knee um, to run the clock out because we're so confident. Um, even if a crazy kicker thing happens, that we're going to go beat your defense in overtime. Which uh, again, we can talk about that strategy if you'd like. But uh, the offensive uh, bent to it is that. They look good, they look confident.
0: I'm I'm fine with playing for a field goal there. I, I am completely fine with playing. Do not hear me saying that. Don't put your quarterback in a position to get hit. Yeah. If you're gonna if you're gonna center it in, and clock it, then just center it and take a knee. Like put him under center. Don't have him run into the teeth of the defense. Yeah. A defense that has some hitters on it. Like that that is my that was, I think, my biggest beef with that, it's not like whatever play for the field goal I don't care that's fine but don't put your quarterback in a position to take hit after hit because you know what Sam Ellinger does take hits he's going to put his body in there so put him in a better position I would have to talk about the special teams Dicker went two of three he uh pushed a fit was a 52 yarder yeah a little bit a little left but Mm -hmm. he made he made him when it counted uh Brandon Jones uh helped you out quite a bit With a, uh, what, 53-yard, I believe, punt return that set up a a touchdown a few plays later. Got Texas in the positives for punting yardage or punt return yardage. But then, in true Texas special team fashion, surrendered a 98-yard kickoff return for a touchdown to close the game back to three. Special team (laughs) has been anything but special this year
1: it was it was almost a, like a parody at that point it's like all right it's a little on the nose guys like how ridiculous that was we were so excited hey we've moved out of the negatives i don't know uh if you've seen the stats Gerald, but texas has now moved all the way all the way up to 116th in the country um you know uh, no teams left are in the negatives, um, which, you know, is, is great, but they, they passed 20 teams. So good for them. But then to immediately on the high of, of, of seeing that have a kick returned on us, which honestly you look back at that game and that kick return doesn't happen. Texas had a chance to put the foot on the throat and maybe you get two more touchdowns in there. Um, just because the momentum is so in Texas's favor, uh, and you don't, you know, settle for the field goal. You just go ahead and go down and score. Um, That could have been an entirely different game. That could have been a much bigger than just a seven-point swing. But, hey, they won. That's all that matters. But, again, Texas isn't going to have the chance every week, and they have to win out the rest of the season. They're not going to have the chance every week to give up a, oh, my gosh, I wish I had that one back touchdown um, on special teams or otherwise and and still assume and know for sure that they can
0: win the game. And Herman mentioned it in his Monday press conference a little bit. uh, It was a combination of – um assuming that with the new fair catch rules that basically like Kansas State had fair caught all of the kickoffs yeah. that were in play and then Dicker normally puts them in the end zone so like they're not necessarily expecting it but again your job is to expect a return so right. hard to hard to hard to give them credit for that
1: and you have to say i mean Sean Snyder as like two for every other special team coach in the country's one um since like two thousand touchdowns um that on the kick return. I mean he's very good at it. Uh it's what you know, he's coached up under Bill. Um and, and you know, that's yeah, that's Bill's son, Sean. He himself is like, you know, 65. Uh, no, I think he's 50. But, uh, but you know, it's it, they have a good coach at that. They stress this. They've done that for years. That's nothing new. Um, so, you know, if any team's going to do it, it's them. But you got to know that, right? But anyways, you're right. It's, it's not the end of the world. There were some extenuating circumstances. But uh, make that the last one, the last touchdown that you give up besides, you know, offenses or whatever, uh, opposing offenses for the year. And I'll, I'll be okay. I'll be happy.
0: So, Texas moves to 6-3 and three on the year, 4-2 in conference play. They now travel to Ames, mm. a place where they won the last time they went on a scary, spooky Thursday night game. But it also gave Todd Orlando some defensive ideas. So, let's see how it shakes out on, uh, sa- on Saturday. We will be back on Thursday to talk about the newly minted number 22-23 Texas Longhorns as they take on Iowa State. So we did like 20-ish minutes on ba- on football, but we've got to talk basketball too because they had a big win. So they opened the season with a win against Northern Colorado. We're honestly not going to talk about that at all because that's what you expect. But then they went on the road to take on the Purdue Boilermakers in one of the best av- uh, venues in college basketball there is and came away with a 70-66 Win starting the season two and oh beating a top 25 team in Purdue uh this is Kyle the first time that Texas has beat a ranked team in football and basketball on the same day and did it in pretty impressive fashion like it was they had a chance to to have a wider margin but but Purdue's a good team and closed that gap late but they they had a They looked really, really impressive against a Boilermaker team that's probably going to compete for a conference championship this year.
1: Yeah, I I think you you can have absolutely no complaints, or that's not true. We can talk about things that could be even better, but there is a different feeling about this basketball team. Even when they don't execute perfectly, you just have a different feel. Something looks different, feels different, you know, just uh, plays out differently. It gives gives the, the, you know, I think the the right, I'll say it that way, to feel confident. You know, this is, they're going to have, after this was the big one, really, um, to set their, their non-conference schedule and the tone of it, and they took care of business. I mean, it, at every point that, and Purdue, to their credit, fought back. They kept punching. I mean, they were a tough out. Texas would get up and get a little run and say, okay, maybe Purdue will fade back. No, they came back, and Texas continued to fight, and that's the thing almost more than any specific, specific stat um, was just the, just the fight, you know, and so far in the first game, you know, I we're not talking too much about that, but you had, um, you had a career, uh, high day from Andrew Jones putting in 20 points, which was incredible. We don't, didn't ever believe that that was going to be what he did every single night, but it was incredible to see. Then you come into this game where you have Matt Coleman basically playing the best game I've seen him play in burnt orange with 22.7 assists and four rebounds. Again, I don't know that Matt Coleman can do exactly that. Also, only one turnover to go with that. I don't know if he can do exactly that with that efficiency um, and really get it going in all parts of the game like that every single night. If he does, watch out. Like If, if that's who your point guard is, then watch out. There's no reason Texas can't contend for the Big 12 championship. Um, it, it might be curious to see if the defense keeps getting better throughout the year, if there's different guys who are stepping up every game and kind of having their night when you look over across the floor and you say, Andrew Jones, it's his night. He's locked in Febris. It's his night. He's locked in Coleman. It's his night. If the rest of the team can play well and you can still on top of that, have one night, which in the past, it seemed like it was kind of one guy. Hey, please hopefully do something. Kerwin Roach, you know, just make something happen. It seemed like they were throwing the ball in a corner and saying, yeah, go, go get it. I mean, that's ball movement is huge, right? I'll, I'll pause there. Texas had 18 assists. 75% 75% of their baskets came off assists. That's San Antonio Spurs' beautiful game, ball movement type stats. That's fantastic for a team that has returning ball handlers and should be doing that. That's exactly what we hope to see.
0: Yeah, and especially last year after it seemed like every game, especially in conference play, there would be a five, six, seven, eight minute drought where it's like have they scored at all this half yeah, Where yeah. that feeling and that happened once against Purdue and and that's bound to happen at least a couple of times uh in a season but the fact that they were able to literally bounce back from that and come away with the win and and for once at least what it feels like in the last several seasons the other team the team not in burnt orange was the one that was having to play the foul game at the end where Texas was able to build a solid enough lead. And then again, put a guy like Andrew Jones out there on the court. Who's automatic from the free throw line. Like if Texas gets into a free throw contest, I take Andrew Jones 10 times out of 10. He's my doc holiday. And he was four for four in the closing 21 seconds of the game. So like, I just don't know how to feel with a Texas basketball team playing consistent offense under Shaka Smart. It's a new feeling for me, Kyle. I'm going to be really completely honest with you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, cohesive offensive basketball, doing the things that they're already good at. Last year they led the Big 12 in free throw percentage, and they continue to do that well. But, I mean, if you take a look, I'm sure hopefully listeners are familiar with Ken Palm being kind of the the advanced stats of basketball that everyone agrees on, Texas is number twenty two and uh, Purdue at one and one is still number nine. Um, they are basically ranking Texas as a as a you know quality loss at this point for Purdue, but that's an incredible win for Shaka Smart. I mean, I think I would go as far as to say that this is in my mind, the, the best win of Shaka's tenure on the road. I know he's had some big ones at home. Uh, Purdue last year was a huge one. Um, but going somewhere else on the road, and so far you only had one chance to prove it, but that's our sample size. They looked like they could go win uh, wherever they, they show up. Get off the plane, go win games. And and that's that's a big deal. I think that, that could change the feeling around a team.
0: Absolutely, and I think you mentioned it. It's kind of a good bookend that the team feels different this year, and that is a good feeling. If if I cannot have like the December depression that Texas basketball has sometimes done to me, uh, that would feel. Really great, and be great for our podcast content, Cal, to Be really honest with you. It's tough when we have to go an entire winter being mopey on the air.
1: Yeah, you're you're absolutely right, man. That this this will. I mean, this guys buckle up because if this team, I mean, they're gonna get their next couple games, California Baptist Prairie view, they play Georgetown who isn't like what you think of as your dad's Georgetown. They're good, but Texas should, should very handily beat them. Um, and then most likely Duke cause California's not great. Um, if they can beat Duke again, a, a top 10 and Ken Palm top 10 team, um, they rattle through the rest with McNeese at UAB, Texas A&M, et cetera, et cetera, Um, they, they could come into big 12 play with like a loss, uh, Total on the schedule and a number that's something stupid like 11 next to their name and buckle up boys because Gerald and I are going to be insufferably optimistic if that is the case we are going to be pumping some sunshine we are going to be you know making new chance for the yak we're going to be all over the yak attack um we're gonna be you know we're gonna be shaka's biggest fans it's coming so any of you that are just absolute pure haters if that starts hop- happening just 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 you know still subscribe but uh, don't listen to this podcast because there's gonna be some uh, some sunshine optimism to get you through the winter months
0: it's like what i tell my coworkers that are ou fans just download and delete <laughs> download and delete it's all you have to do if you if you don't like hearing positive things about texas basketball just just download and delete and that's a part of the show where we give some shine to those teams that don't necessarily get the love that they should and we down the 40 and a team that honestly doesn't fit the description of this segment number one texas volleyball dropped oklahoma three to one kyle it was a mixed success as they <laughs> dropped for their first set in nearly what six weeks uh but It was still a very successful, successful outing. They were like two points or two kills away from not doing that, and then OU rallied late in that third set. Makaya White did what she does, 20 kills. Logan Eggleston, 15 kills, four blocks. Next up, Kansas State and West Virginia at home. Again, if you're in Austin, go to the most fun you can have on campus, Texas volleyball.
1: And there's only a few games left. Like you said, uh, Kansas State, TCU, Baylor, Kansas, Iowa. So just a couple games left on that schedule. Um, I think uh, if you can get those tickets, they're going to be a hot commodity. It's funny that you said a mixed bag. They are very, very, very locked into being the best team on the forty acres. Um, and I, I, I would be very curious uh, who who's going to have something to say about
0: that. I, I don't think anybody in the conference has anything to say about that, much less the country. But that'll be fine. Uh, men's, a uh, men's tennis senior Ua Ito. Uh, won the ITA National Fall Championship in Newport Beach, California. Uh, he was named the uh, UTR ITA National Player of the Month for October. Uh, so he is uh, doing good things to close out. I believe the fall season's now over, or at least wrapping up for the uh, the tennis team.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think I think they're heading into kind of the winter break here. And, and so um, he won the October award. I, I'm curious. I, it's, I mean, you win the national championship. There's a good chance he could do it back-to-back. For the November award, but the uh, this has only started. The the uh, player of the month only started this season, so it has never not been won by a Longhorn because uh, freshman Cia yeah, actually won September's. Um, so there there are, assuming they don't get crazy and not give it to the guy who just won the national championship, um, there should be three straight Longhorns who take that award, which is which is. Utterly fantastic. I'm loving I'm loving what Coach Burke is doing with that program. They are firing on all cylinders.
0: On the women's side of things, Bianca Tarati won the ITF Malibu 25K singles title while her twin sister took a run at the ITA Women's National Fall Championship, but she lost in the finals. Unfortunately, only one tirati can be successful per week because, as we've said, there can only be one, and the only way to stop a Tarotti is with another Tarotti. Uh, number two and number eight, uh, men's and women's, respectively, swimming and diving, beat Louisville and Indiana at the SCY meet in Bloomington. Number one, women's golf takes the top spot that number one spot they're going to hold that one through winter uh the spring season's going to kick off in february it's hard to golf when it's cold outside so they'll take a few months off Uh, a lot of good things happening there
1: yeah and and you said earlier with volleyball who could come and, and and you know challenge them to the number one team on on the 40 acres maybe the uh the women's golf team and like i said like you said getting to hold that for months uh gives a little extra clout when everyone looks at those rankings. It's Texas at the top. And it's not just the names you knew, the, uh, the sophomores who had a, and juniors who had an incredible season last year, but freshman Sophie G named the Big 12 Golfer of the Month herself. So coming on and, and supplementing that team, uh, they, they're just kicking butt right now. It could very easily uh, go all the way through the spring season and we'll be rooting for those ladies.
0: Quo Sophie, it's your birthday. Uh, Women's basketball lost to USF to open the season. Joyner Holmes, 15 points, 10 rebounds. And the new basketball arena is going to be named the Moody Arena, which is a name that a lot of people are familiar with, but a big donation from the Moody Foundation uh, gets their name on the building. And Chris Del Conte continues to wheel and deal to get that price tag paid, not by the university.
1: Yeah, that's a beautiful thing uh, that that Del Conte is doing, but also – if, if you give 130 million, you get to put your name on stuff. So, uh, if I had, uh, you know, moody money just to throw around, I, uh, I'd be, I, you would, you would have the, let's think the, um, the, uh, jester part of the dining hall where freshmen have to swipe you in presented by Kyle Carpenter. Um, I'm trying to think of some other campus locations that, uh, that I would name, I'll get back to you next week on that one. But, uh, Good for the Moody's and good for Texas. <laughs> yeah, I, actually have you been over there lately, I don't know if there's an alley anymore. Now it's uh you it, know, it's it's all redone. It's it's an unbelievable state of the art. The other Moody uh building on campus is, is unbelievably beautiful. I
0: uh yeah, I forgot. I I haven't been to that building in I don't know, probably a decade. You should go. But I'm I I may or may not have uh, parked in that spot to go to class with my flashers on (laughs) for several hours at a time, even though it was a uh, temporary spot. But speaking of traditions, it's time to honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics. Big Bertha and we bang the drum brought to you by Joe. Ruiz. So Kyle, what are you begging the drum on this week?
1: Uh, well, I'm begging the drum on Sweet Sweet Memories because you just uh, you just hit me with a nostalgia bomb um right there. And 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 that is that is exactly where where I want to take this back. In fact, I'm gonna give two hundred and eleven years of nostalgia right here, Gerald, according to uh, the Guinness Book of World Records, the the oldest couple who's clearly got it figured out. The world's oldest living married couple are right here from Austin, Texas. Austinites John and Charlotte Henderson um, named the oldest living couple with a combined <clears throat> 211 years between them. That's a lot of life. John's, a, John's 106, while Charlotte, the uh, his young bride, is 105. They were married December 15th, 1939, their 80th year of marriage i saw some stats they were married of course during the great depression they went on a honeymoon you know it's still a still a, a marriage and they spent a uh, a whopping seven dollars on their honeymoon suite uh they they the you know incredible thing here is they met at ut in 1934 in a class um he played on the football team he's the the oldest living former ut football alum um and uh you know he he played i believe the uh the stat was when he was on the team coach daryl royal oh not coach yet he was 10 years young um while this <laughs> while uh while john was playing quarterback on the 40 acres they live in longhorn village in austin a uh, retirement community for university alumni and man they are a joy and inspiration hashtag goals they have Um, you know, just about, uh, 79 and a half years on me and my wonderful bride, but, uh, gotta have goals.
0: Alaska and Hawaii were not States, nor would they be for another 25 or so years when these two got married, which is just absolutely incredible. Speaking of marriages, I'm banging the drum on something I'm married to, and that's trick plays. So uh, Jake majors, Texas commit, who's going to be a big piece of this 2020 recruiting class. Um, his, uh, on senior night, his coach got a little creative and, and maybe took some inspiration from the Texas longhorns. Uh, Jake majors caught a touchdown pass on senior night in much of the same way that the one Samuel Cosme did for the Texas longhorns. And so I, I love that this is going to be a thing. I love seeing offensive linemen get to score. Uh, I did not score in my time as an offensive lineman. However, the only points I scored in my entire athletic career was a safety playing defensive tackle. Uh, it was the only two points my team scored that year. We were the worst football team in recorded history. Uh, we we <laughs> won that game 2-0 thanks to my one safety. But I love seeing the big guys get an opportunity to score uh, with the way offensive linemen are built nowadays. You can't call them fat guy touchdowns anymore. They're just big guy touchdowns. So I'm banging the drum on the big guys getting a chance to a uh, flash some athleticism out in the flats. Uh, big.
1: I think you're going to say a uh, big bone touchdowns. Um, Piesman, baby Piesman season. Um, no, I, uh-
0: Gerald, I, I, that, what a,
1: fantastic for him, for, for Jake, first of all. Fantastic for you, though. I did not know that nugget that you once scored 100% of your team's points. um good for you. You are, you are a man amongst, amongst boys. Um, No, it's fantastic. That clearly means that Herb hand has been scouting him, looking at the, 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 the tight end uh, bubble screen that, that we're obviously bringing to the big 12 uh, next year. This, I I love it. It's fun. It's the type of stuff that, 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 you know, goes out of the norm of football and there is no one in the stadium who doesn't enjoy a slightly larger guy. Touchdown
0: hefty Holland. It's what we're going to call it. Well, that's all we've got for you this week. What a beautiful note to end it on. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet?
1: Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can uh, follow the Texas Pregamer on Twitter at Texas Pregamer.
0: You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email. Longhorn Republic pod at gmail.com Thank you for all the replies of Texas we got this week. We'll probably bring some of those up on our Thursday show because they're honestly more germane to that, but thank you guys so much for tuning in again this week, and until next time, hook em.
1: Hook 'em. Hook I wish I could be married